morning, beloved. Serious passage today, and at the same time, a great opportunity for us to celebrate our Lord's death for us and reflect on that as we take the Lord's Supper today. Perfect passage. I didn't get all the way through it last week, and um, I just want to keep going. I, I guess I could preach on this, and, and some of you might say, why? And I think I could preach on this forever. <laughs> These 21 to 25 are just some of the most amazing verses in all the Bible. Uh, beautiful description of the gospel and why we live and what we're all about as Christians. As we saw last week, this whole section is all about submission to authorities with suffering for God's glory and others' good. Now, notice I added a little phrase to it this week, uh, and others' good. Submission to authorities with suffering for God's glory and others' good. It's a little twist, and uh, the reason I added is because that is the main idea of this section that it's for God's glory and our good that Jesus suffered for us under authorities. We talked about the calling for the believers who were slaves during Peter's day. The ESV that uh, uh, Daniel read mentioned that they even were not just harshly treated in verse 20. It can be translated they were beaten. Uh, he says in verse 20, For what credit is there if when... You sin and are beaten, you endure with patience. In other words, there's no credit for that. But if when you do what is right and suffer, assumed beaten, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. This is glorifying to God when you endure that. Again, I speak about this as never experiencing anything like it. Um, Yet, I do know one who did. And his suffering for me is why I'm here today and probably why all of you are here today, or at least most of you are here today. We will continue to see today this proposition statement, submission to authority with suffering for God's glory and our goods, all the way through it. When we submit to authorities with suffering, we are literally walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We are being little sons, little sons like Jesus was the son. We began a look at the glory of the gospel last week, and this examination of the gospel is a perfect preparation for our taking the Lord's Supper, like I mentioned, today. And I would challenge you to think on the gospel today as before you take the Lord's Supper. You better understand why you're taking the Lord's Supper, and it's ultimately to reflect and remember what these verses are all about. And it's good for us to think on the gospel. How often do you think you should think on the gospel? I would argue that you should be thinking on the gospel every day. As a matter of fact, you're not going to survive in this world if you're not thinking on the gospel every day. This passage gives us this view of Christ's work on the believer's behalf. And it also gives us an example to follow. We saw last time that the example of Christ's suffering in submission, we started with that point, and then with today we'll get to the purpose of Christ's suffering in submission in verses 24 and 25. Let's pick back up where we left off in the example of Christ's suffering in submission. 
Let's read one more time. Look at 21 to 24. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. So I want us to rejoice in the glory of Jesus today. I want our focus to be on him and him completely. I want to back up and make an observation from verse 21 that I didn't make last time and I flew through it. I want you to notice that Jesus was a our sacrifice. In verse 21 it says, Since Christ also was or suffered for you. Since Christ also suffered for you. You know, we read over little phrases like this as Christians and we don't contemplate them and think on them enough. Uh, so what I did last night was I got out one of the systematic theologies, uh, the new one, and started reading this section about just Christ's atonement and what he did for us. Beloved, I'm telling you, this is one of the most encouraging little phrases that we might fly by in our Bibles, but it is a very important concept. You could preach a whole sermon on just since Christ also suffered for you. That could be a sermon. Uh, Spurgeon's done it probably numerous times. The word for there is loaded with meaning. The Greek word can be translated on behalf of you or in the place of, or instead of, on behalf of you. He suffered on behalf of you, or for us. This word emphasizes the penal substitution of Jesus' death. What's that word, penal, mean? It means the judicial penalty. The judicial penalty. And the substitution means to suffer in the place of someone else. Jesus suffered the judicial penalty for our sins. The law required punishment for sin. Everybody understands that. God is a righteous and holy judge. And justice requires a judgment for the lawbreaker. We all deserve God's eternal judgment. So, who was in the crosshairs of God's wrath? The answer, us. We were. We deserved God's wrath, but Christ took our wrath for us. On behalf of us, he suffered. If we understand how sinful we are, we will be humbled by this phrase. You know, when I, when, when I really get this phrase, since Christ also suffered for you, anything that happens to me becomes very small, doesn't it? Everything in my life becomes really, to a degree, insignificant. For Christ suffered for you, the innocent for the guilty, the just for the unjust. He was our substitutionary sacrifice. 
You know, I had opportunity this week to share my testimony with a university student who was and is lost in their sin. As I did, I was reflecting back over my pre-Christ life. I remembered just how wicked I was outside Christ. I don't know about you, but I, when I think back over my pre-Jesus times, the pre-time before Christianity, I was consumed with myself. As I spoke those things out to him and told him some of the things that I did and who I was, it was almost like shocking again. Oh yeah, that's who you were. All that, that's who you are. I didn't, at the time, even know how selfish I was. I was all in for the world. I was someone, I was somewhat happy, but it was an empty happy, happiness. Most of you all understand what I mean by that. I struggled with bitterness towards anyone who mistreated me. Anybody else can relate with that? In my heart, I was a miserable young man. So as I spoke to this young man telling him my testimony, I could, I could just relate with who I was talking to. I'm like, I am you. I understand your pain. I understand your lost condition. If I had died before Christ, I would have spent eternity in hell, and I would have deserved every second. But God, God sent Jesus to suffer for me. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see my sin and see my responsibility in the death of Christ. Beloved, you must see your own sin as the responsibility, the reason Jesus died. You must see this regularly. I would suggest you need to see it daily. You need to understand that even after our conversions, we have been far from perfect, haven't we? Now, I've asked this before. How many of you sinned this week? Fairly sure everybody in the room sinned this week, didn't you? Let me ask you a question. Did you see other people's sin? You saw other people's sin, right? Did you see your own sin this week? Did you see much of it? Did you see yourself elevating yourself over other people? Let me ask you. Have you been self-righteous this week and placed yourself above others in your heart? Have you been jealous? Have you hated someone in your heart? Maybe there's someone in your life that you still have bitterness towards in your heart. You're angry in your soul over them. Beloved, do you understand that that is why Jesus came to die? How many of you were good stewards of your money this week? How many of you were good stewards of your time this week? You wasted no time on Facebook this week. You honored the Lord with everything you did. Every second of the day, you were praising and thanking Him and serving Him every minute of the day. Anybody in here? Guess what? You need Jesus. That's why He suffered. He suffered for you. 
I think a good heart check needs to happen regularly for every believer, every one of us. When was the last time that you just took a cold, hard look in the mirror and realized just how sinful you were? Often we get away from our conversion moment as time goes by and we forget just how wicked we were and we begin to judge the world. We look at the world and we say, can you see how that person's so mean? Do you see how evil they are? This isn't our problem, is it? Yes, it is. It's all of our problem. Christ also suffered for you. As we study the Bible, we can often see our outward sins of see the outward sins of others you know in some ways reading the old testament and studying the old testament for me sometimes it's easier let me tell you why because as i read through the old testament i say man you see that wicked guy he's got how many wives see all that wickedness that he does because it talks a lot about these external things but once you get to the new testament jesus just takes the flashlight and shows us our heart he shows us just really how wicked we really are. He says, let me show you what the law really looks like. And he says, pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. When somebody slaps you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. Does that come natural to anybody in the room? Beloved, we need Christ, don't we? Christ suffered for us, every one of us. We must understand our sin was paid for because Jesus submitted himself to authorities with suffering for God's glory and our good. Next, we saw that Jesus was innocent. He was innocent, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Again, that's a quote from Isaiah 53. Again, no sin. One of my biggest problems when I deal with people that I disagree with is I see their sin when I disagree with them. But only Jesus can say that he was innocent perfectly. Only Jesus it changes the way that we view the world if we understand that we were not innocent, ever. We're all sinners, aren't we? So anybody that we're talking to that might have a wrong worldview or have some kind of evil going on in their life, we must understand, that is me. I am him. Or I am her. But Jesus, on the other hand, committed no sin. No deceit in his mouth. Jesus was innocent, but he suffered for us. This is the gospel. Jesus will, willfully submitted himself to the Father's plan. This included unjust suffering. But ultimate, the ultimate goal was God's glory and our good. Was the suffering at the hands of the wicked leaders necessary to atone for sin? I want you to think about that question for a second. I want you to stop. I want you to think about this. 
was the suffering at the hands of the wicked leaders necessary to atone for sin? It's a trick question. I want you to think. Did Jesus have to be slapped? Did Jesus have to be beaten by the soldiers to atone for sin? The answer to that question is no. Some of you in the room are like, what? Do you understand that when they were beating him, that was not the atonement? That was extraordinary sin. Unjust sin. That being beaten and having a crown placed on his head and mocked, that in and of itself did not atone for sin. So why did the Father ordain for that to happen too? It's a great question, isn't it? Think about this. Do you think that it's possible that Jesus could have gotten to the cross without going through the extra suffering at the hands of the unjust? Sure. God could have got him there quicker. But God ordained for him to walk through wicked treatment by evil leaders. I've heard this before when we suffer. If suffering doesn't have a direct good, it, it's not necessary. Why is this necessary for me to go through if it's no direct good there? It doesn't look like there's a direct good. What's the purpose? The only way to answer that question is, is that we must see things from a bigger perspective. We must understand that Jesus suffering at the hands of the wicked rulers, that did not atone for sin, but it glorified God nonetheless. And it was Why was it good? Well, it was good because it showed us that to trust God through unjust treatment is a good thing to do. It showed us that God works in unjust treatment to honor himself. What did Jesus do through that whole time? We know from the next section. He entrusted himself to the Father despite the mistreatment. Jesus endured to the point of horrible injustice that we might see that through grace we can too. This submission to authorities with suffering was for God's glory and our good. We know God through Jesus' response to the wicked rulers too, don't we? Think about this for a second. How do I know that God will forgive me of my sin? How do I know that God actually loves me and cares for me? You know, have you ever said this in your heart? I've sinned too bad. There's no way God could forgive this wretched sinner. Anybody ever said that? Beloved, the events leading up to the cross show that to not be true. The mercy on display from the Savior screams, God is a merciful Savior. He loves us. And even when we mistreat him, he's there and he continues the plan and he still accomplishes what the Father wants for his own. 
Notice Jesus was merciful. It says, Jesus, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Jesus didn't return revile for revile. Now, I know this goes totally contrary to everything we hear in our world, doesn't it? Oh, I know that I remember hearing one of my uncles say to one of his, uh, one of his children, if, if somebody punches you in the face, son, you make sure that you punch them harder back. They better not get up. That's how you win. Beloved, that is not what Jesus is about. Jesus is the opposite of that. And, you know, I'm really thankful he is not like that. Because do you understand how many years I spent reviling my king? Reviling my God. And even after coming to know Christ, how many times has my sin been a blasphemy to the very Savior and what he did for me? How about you? Beloved, these words are so humbling, aren't they? They crush us. They say, Mike, you are loved. Not because you deserve it, but because God is good. In fact, he didn't even threaten them despite his position as Lord. You know, threats usually come from people that have the ability to carry out the violence. Do you understand what I mean by that? Uh, there's occasions where, uh, you know, a little child will up and say, do that or I'll, I'll hurt you. Well, when they're a little toddler, that doesn't mean much, does it? They have no ability to carry through on their threat. That's why kids are born small. I'm fairly sure God doesn't want them to be big they'd kill us the fact of the matter is is that the heart of man is wicked above all else and the truth is this Jesus had all the authority and all the power he could have wiped everyone out and yet and by the way he was going to judge many of them too, wasn't he? All those people that didn't turn to Christ, that rejected him, the high priests, and all those Jewish leaders that mocked him. Let me ask you a question. Will they get their day in judgment? Oh, yes, they will. All he had to do was say the truth. Do you understand? A day is coming when you're all going to die and go to hell. I, you will be under my feet one day. And if he said that, he would have been what? Right. <laughs> he would have been right. But he didn't do it. What mercy. What amazing love and compassion. By the way, if you ever think that your life is the final thing that's going to change a person's heart, I want you to understand it doesn't work that way. 
Jesus was love on display, and he responded perfectly the whole time. And guess what they did? They killed him. Ultimately, what it takes is the gospel message with the Holy Spirit's help work. It's the only way. But Jesus submitted to the Father and did what had been ordained for him despite the wicked rulers, and he did it for God's glory and our good. Submission to authorities with suffering for God's glory and our good. That's the gospel. Next we see Jesus was faithful. Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. That's exactly what we talked about last time. I saw another verse of this in Luke 23 this week. Jesus crying out with a loud voice from the cross said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The idea is, is to the last moment he entrusted his own soul to the Father. No matter how bad he was mistreated, no, how, no matter how much the Father even judged him for our sin, he still entrusted his soul to the Father. Jesus was innocent, but he entrusted his soul. Jesus submitted to the ordained wicked authorities. Jesus submitted ultimately to the righteous Father who was judging us or judging him for us. And he entrusted himself through the whole process. Next we see again, Jesus was an atoning sacrifice. If Peter couldn't make this point once, he's going to make it again. And he's going to develop it more. Look at the next verse, 24. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. Just like in verse 21, Jesus is described as the suffering, sacrificial substitutionary atonement for us. Here the details are even more graphic. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. I think Peter is moving from the wicked rulers to the righteous ruler who then judges the son for us who are unrighteous. Jesus bore our sins on the body, in his body on the cross. This is when our sins were placed upon Jesus. And then he was punished for us. You know, does that... This is, there's one part of the Christian walk that, 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 that frustrates me a little bit. It's this, that I can read verses like this in my Bible reading times, and not be thrown to the ground in tears. Anybody with me? I mean, I read, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. And I go, yep, Jesus died on the cross for me. Next. It should never be that way, should it? These, wor these words should make all of us fall to our faces in utter humility. Oh, God, 
Never let the cross become old to my soul. May I understand just how wicked I am and what it costs you. This is one of the reasons why when we take the Lord's Supper, I wish, I wish we could take it more, but at the same time, I, there's this tension that goes on. If we took it more, you know, there's this high church mentality that you just go in, you do it, and you don't even think about it. You just move on. Oh, yeah, the gospel, another week. Here, take some bread. Got it. Juice, we're out of here. No, beloved. I never want the cross to become old to me. Jesus talked about this over and over, even before he died. In Luke twenty two nineteen, he says when they were taking, he was instituting the Lord's Supper, he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was given for you. Sacrificially. Substitutionary. Atonement. 20, in Mark 14, 24, he says, And Jesus said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. His blood is poured out for many. Who are the many? That's us. That's us. Submission to authorities with suffering for God's glory and others' good. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For the sheep. He goes on in John 10, 15, Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Submission to the authorities with suffering for God's glory and our good. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Oh, folks, you get it? John gets it here, doesn't he? He understands the cross, the sacrifice of Christ calls us who have been sacrificed for to then lay down our lives for others, to sacrifice for others, to serve others. It is the, it's the truth that humbles us all, right? It's the, hum, it's the truth that makes us totally different from the world. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Paul speaks about it when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, this is the sacrificial love that motivates us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. It is this love that makes submission to authority with suffering a privilege. This love makes dying to self possible. This is the love that moves us to think of others more than ourselves. This is the love that we should be meditating on day and night, hour after hour, because it changes the way that you respond to somebody when they mistreat you. It changes how we live, doesn't it? It changes everything that we do. 
This truth, the gospel motivates us because it has delivered us. And we trust him now. Jesus bore our sins, our sins, in his body on the cross. So who is the our in that phrase? Our sins in this verse. Who is it referring to? Well, it's everyone who has turned to him to save them. It's everybody who has repented and trusted in Christ. It's for those people, it was the believers. Those believers had trusted in him, and guess what? Their sin was paid for. So the question is natural. It's this. Did Jesus die for you? Did he die for you? I think this is one of the reasons why we have to be very, very careful in our terminology. If you have not trusted in Jesus, you can have no assurance that he died for you. That's a fact. He died for those who would trust in him. Fact. And ultimately, we know that we trust in him because of why? Because he worked in us. Beloved, we have to know that faith in Christ is why our sin is paid for. Why did he do this? Was it because we were good? No. He picked wretched sinners. That's all of us in the room, right? But he did it because he loved us before the foundation of the world. He cared for us. I think often, this is a very hard concept to get your mind around. When did Jesus' death happen? Thousands of years ago. When did your sins happen? In your lifetime. When were those sins in your lifetime paid for? Thousands of years ago. When did that happen, or when were your sins paid for, or when were you declared innocent or not guilty anymore? When you believed in him. When you repented and turned from your sin, it was then that you were declared right with God. Until then, it was up in the air. Why is that important? Well, because you can't just... And, and I know there's passages in the Bible that say that Jesus died for the whole world. And I, I'm going to have like 50 questions afterwards about... What about this, and what about that, and what about John 3.16, and what about 1 John 2.2? 2, 2? I'm going to hear all this, but can we all agree on one thing? Not everybody's going to heaven. Amen, right? What are they going to pay for when they get to hell? Their sin. Right? So at the bare minimum, we all know that what? Either Jesus pays for your sin, or you pay for your sin. How do you pay for your sin? In hell. How does Jesus pay for your sin? He did it on the cross. And the only way that works is if you trusted in him. That's a fact. So, beloved, what does that mean? Maybe there's somebody in here that says, Well, I'm being raised in a Christian home, so that means Jesus died for me. No, that doesn't mean that at all. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Every, listen to me, children. This is for you today. 
This little thing, I want you to listen, every child. You personally must repent of your sins and turn to Jesus for your sin to be paid for. You can't rely on your parents' faith. You can't rely on coming to church. That does not save you. At the same time, just because you're married to a Christian doesn't mean that you're saved either. You must repent and believe in Christ. I want to call all of you to do that today. And just a warning on the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in a little bit. Don't take the Lord's Supper if you're not sure you believe in Jesus. Don't take it if you're not sure that you're remembering what he did for you. And I would also add, don't take the Lord's Supper in a haphazard way that if you have bitterness in your heart towards a brother or sister, please confess your sin. Repent before you take the Lord's Supper. Because otherwise you say, I take this and I don't care. I don't care that I'm in sin. It doesn't work that way, beloved. His, sin, his, his sacrificial atonement for our sin should cause all of us to be humbled. Notice the purpose, the purpose of Christ's suffering and submission. It's found in verses 24 and 25. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually strained like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So this little phrase, so that... We might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's actually translated in the NASB, in my opinion, poorly. Poorly. It should be this. So that we, so that we who died to sin should live to righteousness. Notice the should's not up at the front. It doesn't say so that we should die to sin and live to righteousness. The NASB says it that way. It's better translated this way. So that we who died to sin should live to righteousness. Why is that important? Oh, beloved, that's very important. You know why that's important? It's because those who have repented and trusted in Christ, we now have a new identity, a new position. Our new position is what? Our sin died. Our sin is paid for. When did that happen? When did that happen? Back at conversion. So we who have died, we who died in the past with Christ, our sins paid for, all of his death, burial, and resurrection, his obedience through submission to authorities in suffering was so that we who died with him, identify with Christ as our Savior, might live to righteousness we died with Christ when he died we died we our punishment was paid and so therefore we now live to righteousness we went from dead people walking to 
now living people. We're alive. And we can live righteous lives. Do we live righteous, perfect lives? No, not until we get out of these bodies of death. But the direction of our life is what? Righteousness. That's why he died and rose from the dead. That's so important. It means that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has a real effect, an objective effect on the life of the believer. This is why we follow Jesus' example. And why we can, it's even possible. Why can he say, this is your calling, to follow in his footsteps? Answer, because we can now. Why can we obey him? Why can we submit to authorities even when they're mistreating us? Why can we? Answer, because we died with Christ and he's made us to live in righteousness. We can look like Christ in this world. But why? Because we are the ones who died with him. He paid for our sin. He made it possible for us to be alive. So what was Christ's purpose in dying? Answer, to free his children from sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And free us to live righteously for God. By the way, just, just a side note on this. Do you understand the world can't live righteously? Why not? Because they're not identifying with his death. It's impossible. So you ask me, what is the most important thing you can tell an unbeliever? You ready? The gospel. Why? Because that's the only way they're going to live righteously. It's the only way. You must die with Christ and be raised to newness of life or you're not going to live righteous. That's what this is saying. So how do they do this? They hear the gospel, just like we heard the gospel. And notice, what is our life considered? What were we? We were like sheep straying, right? That's the world. Continually straying like sheep. That's what they are. You know, sheep are notorious for uh, straying and getting lost, right? This is an animal that is completely dependent upon a shepherd. They have no ability in their own to keep themselves safe and out of trouble. This is who we are. You know, isn't that ironic that God would use that animal to compare humanity to and to compare us to? He picked the animal that can't survive on its own. That's us. This is who we are apart from God's great saving love. After a person becomes a believer, they are then freed from enslavement to sin, but they f still fight their old sin nature, but they have a new hearing. <laughs> they have a new ability to follow. They know the voice of who? The shepherd. And so what do we do? It says, but now you have returned to the great shepherd and overseer of your soul. Beloved, that's what we are all about, aren't we? We are all about following our shepherd. We listen to his word. We obey what he says. 
Do we do it perfectly? No. Does he have to sometimes break our legs and carry us for a while? Yes. But we are about serving our shepherd. We have an overseer, an elder, an ep... ep, ep uh, I'll just leave it at overseer. Bishop. We have one that we follow. And we have returned to him. And we what? Continually return to him, don't we? Where's our hope, beloved? Our hope is in the good shepherd and in the overseer of our souls. So today, why have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul? Answer, because Jesus submitted to the authorities with suffering for God's glory and your good. That's why. We follow him because he laid down his life for us. Let's take the Lord's Supper and worship him.